It's that time, the sports talker. Here's TJ Walker. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday to you. I'm coming live from Chicago, the north side to be specific. McDonald's on American game in Chicago this week. So that means I had to travel up to Chicago today. I'll be here for a few days. Lovely day here. It seems like the last few years I've been here for this game. It's always been very cold, but nice day today. I know it was a nice day in Kentucky when I left you all earlier today, and uh, I'm sure it's it's remained that way. A little tired, Trevor. I, I was super pumped to do this show. I was thinking about it all day yesterday, all on the drive up, what I was going to talk about, who we were going to have on, and this and that. And then after, you know, a five-and-a-half-hour drive and finding somewhere to park and finally dealing with Chicago traffic, I get settled in, and it hits me where I'm, I'm kind of tired, which is disappointing. Yeah, to drive to Chicago and get there in time to do a show today, that you did it pretty early, and I'm sure you were, you were up somewhat late last night. I mean, you had to watch basketball, and you had Sheamus, and you had WrestleMania. There was a lot on the plate last night. I was up. I was up later than I would have liked to have been on a Sunday. Didn't watch WrestleMania, but did watch Shameless. Did, unfortunately, watch Walking Dead. Uh, for Walking Dead standards, it was actually a pretty good episode last night. And I had a basketball game of my own. So uh, it was. It, it, I didn't get a ton of sleep and then driving up today. But I'm going to kick it into gear. I just maybe run on adrenaline and be able to do this show because there is a lot to talk about. I'm glad to see uh, the people, good people at Rivals didn't put you on the south side next to Lip and that family. You know what? I would have liked to. I was thinking about that on the way up, too. I was wondering what the Shameless crew's up to. Uh, you know, they're turning their new neighborhood into something nice. I would have been yeah. okay with, with hanging out with, and, you know, Fiona's always down for a good time. <laughs> That's true. I, we can we can switch since uh, I don't watch Game of Thrones. Monday can be a Shameless day now, but I don't know how much we can really talk about it before we get kicked off the air by the FCC. Here's the thing, is when I come to Chicago, there's a media hotel, and you can also get your own hotel on your own. There's They're expensive. Hotels in Chicago are expensive. That's probably not a surprise to anybody. So anytime I come up here, luckily I'm, I've, I know some people, uh, you know, just normal Joes, no offense to allegedly Mike who's listening, uh, so I've been able to stay with some friends, and, and this year I'm actually staying with family. So it's always nice to have a place to stay here and avoid having to pay for those hotels. Uh, that being said, I, I crash on couches for, for a few days, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. Trevor, you still crash on couches in your mom's basement, so. Uh, no, I've got my own room, thank you, and it, it's, it's, it's a nice couch. It folds out to a bed. I love this. I'm glad that you're not old enough to uh, feel beneath you to, to crash on somebody's futon instead of dropping a hundred bucks to get a hotel. If I if I have no problem generally getting a hotel unless I have to, uh, I don't have to when I go to Chicago. When I when I have to cover a tournament in Paducah, uh, yes, I'm getting a hotel, and I usually try to get a nice one in Paducah. Uh, but in Chicago, there's enough nice places to stay, and, and lucky to have some. Some family members here, some friends here, and uh, anyways, let, let's move on. We're gonna have Rob Doster on the show. Uh, not, they're, they're, I'm not sure if we'll be able to do the show tomorrow. So Rob usually comes on on Tuesdays, uh, but I'm not sure with my work schedule and the McDonald's All American Game and media opportunity if I'll be able to do that. So he's coming on today, and we're gonna talk about the Elite Eight, 
a little bit of the Sweet 16 and certainly preview the Final Four, which will be the fourth Final Four in five years for Kentucky, which is just unbelievable to think about. And I talked about this on the show last week where me growing up and, and when I kind of came to and started able being able to follow college basketball and process what was going on and realize how fun it was to win and how painful it was to lose. That was probably right during the end of the Patino era and in the beginning of Tubby Smith and around that national title run. So I was kind of not, not literally born into championships, but when I started to really become a basketball fan, that's when Kentucky was winning. Sure enough, you go on a huge drought, 98 to 2010, no final fours. Finally, the 2011 season, they cracked through and it was kind of funny to see, over the past few years, Kentucky's Elite Eight games, because they've been in Elite Eights, obviously, since 1998, uh, the 2005 one with Michigan State, the the Marquette-Dwayne Wade game, and then 2010, West Virginia. But the 2011 one, when they beat UNC, you would have thought, based on UK fans, their reaction, the city of Lexington, that they had won a national championship. Now, Kentucky fans still obviously celebrate and party Elite Eights. If you saw the time lapse from State Street, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But with the UK fans I watched it with on Saturday, going into the game, it almost it really almost felt just like another game. Now, or just another tournament game, rather. Fans were nervous because if you lose, your perfect season's over, and, and that's that. But it didn't feel like if you won, you got to go quite to the Final Four until the game started to go on. And then nerves set in for Kentucky fans. UK fans became anxious and, and, and realized just what was at stake and also realized that Notre Dame wasn't going to back down and this was going to be far, far from the West Virginia game that UK played just two days prior. But the way that game unfolded, I, I say that UK fans might have taken this year's Elite Eight a bit for granted and, and the buildup for it. But after, with the way everything unfolded and with Aaron Harrison hitting a big three, Tyler Eulis hitting a big three, and then Andrew Harrison's two free throws for the go-ahead and eventually game-winning points, eruption broke out. It was crazy. It was a party. And then you kind of got you, – you gelled back in just what it means to go to a Final Four at this stage. I think Kentucky fans, I think they may have taken it a bit for granted heading into the game but it didn't take long for them to realize what UK had just accomplished and what a game it was. Uh, that was the first game all season, and I mean this, the, the first game all season where I guess it was probably halftime where I thought, I don't, I don't think UK is going to win this game. And then certainly 10 minutes into the half, I didn't feel any more confident about Kentucky's chances. And probably about six minutes, same feeling. Five minutes, same feeling. And it really probably wasn't until Aaron Harrison's deep three where you got the sense, wow, Kentucky's going to win this. I don't know how, but Kentucky's going to win it. And then Grant comes down on the other hand, and it's a three almost nearly as deep. That was the best college basketball game of the tournament and really maybe the best college basketball game dating back to the Wichita State-Kentucky game uh, just one year before. It was, it was good basketball for the most part. A lot of people say that Notre Dame played their best game they could have played and Kentucky played terrible. I don't necessarily I don't necessarily buy that. Notre Dame did play very well, but they only hit four threes. 
Uh, and we're going to talk more about and we're going to talk more about UK strategy against Notre Dame and why I think maybe John Calipari went about it a little bit wrong. But Notre Dame only hit four threes. But I, I think Notre Dame played great. Could they have played a little bit better? Probably. But I think they played great. But I don't think Kentucky played as bad as everybody wants to make it out to be. They played really good offensively. And didn't miss a shot the last 10, 11 minutes, however long it may have been. Defensively, it wasn't the same UK effort that you saw against West Virginia. wasn't the same effort that you saw against Cincinnati. And I think before the game, John Calipari and UK staff put such an emphasis on stopping Notre Dame from the perimeter, it killed them on penetration. They were overplaying every Notre Dame player because four players on Notre Dame's team at any given time that are on the floor can knock down a three. So he had everybody just overplaying the perimeter, not making sure that Notre Dame wouldn't get any easy, clean looks. So Notre Dame just drove right by people, did backdoor cuts. Very simple stuff, but stuff that UK was... I'm not going to say allowing them to have, but would prefer them to get into the paint and then maybe face a shot blocker than give them open threes. And a lot of times they didn't have to face that shot blocker because they would take Kentucky's big guys away from the paint, away from the basket, and try to make make the paint area as empty as possible, as isolated as possible, which is something Wisconsin may try to do as well. But it worked. It worked against Kentucky. I, I think at some point Kentucky maybe should have adjusted and said, we'll play off a little bit. But then sure enough, Trevor, when, when they did play off a little bit, Grant hit that three from 26 feet out. His only three, by the way. So did, did you feel during the game that Kentucky was doing the right thing by taking away the perimeter? Yeah, because you can still, as you saw in certain situations, and not all of them, but in certain, that you can still – Reject a shot when you have three seven footers trailing from behind, and you've seen Kentucky's done it all year. And by and back to what you just said a second ago, where you said Kentucky's defensive effort wasn't as good against Notre Dame as it was against the previous two opponents. I think a little bit to do with the fact that Notre Dame was a lot more talented than their previous two opponents as well. And Kentucky played well offensively. I thought Notre Dame played as well as they can against as good a defensive team as they played. Jerry Grant missed a lot of shots. The final shot I didn't understand. You mentioned the the big shots on Kentucky's side. The one play that I thought I, I really got the feeling Kentucky had the game one wasn't a UK shot, but a Notre Dame miss. And it was with about 90 seconds left where Notre Dame, you could tell, wanted to take one more shot. Take They were up to Jerry and Grant dribbling around, and he went for that, what I thought was a haymaker from the top of the key, got a good look at it, hit off the front of the rim, and when he missed that and would have made it 69-64, with about 96 up. I thought that was the haymaker Notre Dame was going for. They missed it, and Kentucky took advantage of it and came back and won the game. There, there's a lot of good points there, and one I want to touch on is, is the last second shot by Notre Dame. Awful. And I was thinking about today, and that was probably – Kentucky has been fortunate to survive a lot of missed shots in the NCAA tournament over the last two years and even a few more this season. I guess Texas A&M had one and LSU – Certainly had one, and Ole Miss, I don't know, I guess, no, I think they did at the end of regulation. They did. Uh, So they've even survived some regular season ones this year, Uh, but certainly in the tournament. You think about all of Aaron Harrison's big threes last year. Every one of those, the other team had a shot to tie or win. Wisconsin, 
Wisconsin's was to win. Michigan's to tie. Wichita State's to win. Louisville, that one had a little bit more time left in it. Uh, so it wasn't really a true last-second shot. But everybody wants to say Aaron Harrison had last-second game-winning shots. Well, they were game winners, but they weren't truly last-second. The last-second shots came from the other team, and all of them had decent looks. Wichita State had a, a solid look. Wisconsin had you couldn't ask for a better look last year in the Final Four, uh, given the, the time and the circumstance. Michigan had an okay one. Theirs was a little bit tougher. Notre Dame had plenty of time to have an okay one, but you're right, Trevor. That was terrible. And credit to John Calipari for that because Notre Dame was out of timeouts. UK was not. And after that second free throw from Andrew Harrison, I was actually thinking to myself, UK needs to call one. Call one because I always trust the offense to be able to, a, a good ball handler and a good player, to be able to get where he wants on the floor and the defense be a little rattled, confused, maybe lose a guy, and the ball handler can either take it to the rim, score, shoot, pull up, or, or find a lost guy, which is the biggest concern for me. Grant was very determined to hold on to that ball, keep it the whole way, and really had nowhere to go. You could tell that the entire Notre Dame team was confused. Grant was certainly confused. Ends up going back in the corner, uh, triple teamed, and, and was able to get the shot off. But as soon as it left his hands, you knew it was long. And so, I had no problem with Grant holding the ball the whole time. That it was six seconds up. You six seconds is an attorney. Just ask Ty Sedney that. He he only had four seconds and he got a layup out of it. Different defense in Missouri than in the second round of 98, 95 than Kentucky did. But Grant's a senior, and six seconds is plenty of time. This guy, he's been through this before. And the one thing you never do, you don't do it with six seconds left and a chance to win the game, and you don't do it with ten minutes into the game or two minutes into a game. You don't drive into the corner and just pick up your dribble. All the times I've seen that happen in the middle of the game, and my memory can be kind of shaky, but I can only think of one time ever that's actually worked for a team, and that was Maryland a few years back in the second round. I think it was DJ Strawberry, uh, Daryl Strawberry's little brother or cousin or son, Hit like a fading out of the bounds shot at the buzzer in the second round of the tournament back in like 2001. That's the only thing I can remember. Every time else, that never works. Can you? Because if it did, you would remember it because it's such a hard shot to hit. And for a senior to do that, it, it, he, I don't want to say choked because they, they they did such a good job to get in it. But that was that was a little mini choke move by Jerry Grant at the end of the, end of the game right there. Uh, well, that last play I don't think was the significant choke. But Notre Dame didn't seem to miss a free throw for the first. 35 minutes of the game, but then they missed a few late. They only ended up missing three. They didn't even the go the game. first 10 minutes, did they? Didn't, wasn't it like 11 minutes into the game when they took the first retail attempt? Well, I don't really care when they took their first one. I'm I'm, oh. I, I'm more interested of when they started to miss because it, it they, they didn't shoot one for a while, and there wasn't a ton of fouls in the first half for the first 10 to 15 yeah. minutes. But they, they were hitting all game. They're a good free throw shooting team, so that wasn't a huge surprise. But then late... I want to say they missed all three of their free throws in the final 10 minutes and maybe even two in the final five, uh, which left that window a little bit open. But there was big play after big play for UK where you say, if so-and-so didn't do this, Kentucky loses the game. If so-and-so doesn't do that, Kentucky loses the game. And to be honest, Kentucky probably should have lost that game. Notre Dame outplayed them, unlike any team probably has played outplayed Kentucky all year. And Kentucky was the one that... I don't want to say got lucky because Kentucky's, you know, credit to UK. They made plays as well, uh, but they hung around, hung around, had chance to kind of fold and fold, and then they took their shot, got their window, and capitalized and, and came out 
with a win, even though Notre Dame maybe outplayed them for the for the majority of the game, 39 minutes of that game. Uh, and we're going to talk more about what plays those were. Aaron Harrison's three was just unbelievable. Tyler Ulysses' three was the underrated one that jumps out to me uh, as really Kentucky doesn't win if they don't get that. Down six at the time, and then I think it was Grant goes back on the other end, gets fouled, gets an and one, end up missing the free throw, but Kentucky could have been down eight or nine at that point with around five minutes to go. No way they come back from that. Uh, so a lot of good moments in that game if you're a Kentucky fan, and, and they'll move on to the Final Four again. We're going to head to a commercial break. We come back, we'll have Rob Doster on from NBC Sports to talk about the Final Four and some Elite Eight action from the weekend. So stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. You're listening to the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. Cage matches? Yeah, they work. How could they not work? If they didn't work, everybody would still be in the cage. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my mind. There was something so pleasant about that place. Even your emotions have We're back. Sports Talks. Another great office quote. Trevor, we have Rob on and never got the notification from you. Yes? Yeah, he's ready, and he's got some big breaking news to br- uh, to, uh, to tell us today. Let's, let's hear it, Rob. What's, what's the big breaking news? Well, Trevor, I'm glad you're on because I just wanted to let you know that on Friday at midnight is when Fast and Furious 7 gets released <laughs> in the theaters. <laughs> I've already got my ticket, and I'm waiting to sit in line. Are you going to dress up like your favorite uh, Fast and the Furious character, Rob, like I will? I'm going to dress up like Paul Walker, RIP. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know where to go from. I don't know where to go from that. TJ, are you a Fast and (laughs) the Furious fan? All right, guys. Good talk. See you next time. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Rob. Uh, no, Trevor, I'm not a big Fast and the Furious fan. I was when I was 13 or 14 when they were on Fast and the Furious 4 or 5. Uh, but this now, what are what are they on, 7 or 8 or whatever? Well, it's 7. They're on and 7? It's really, it's really picked up. The last two have really picked up. Like, no one no one watches Tokyo Drift. We just pretend that one doesn't exist. But, you know, 4, four was solid, 5 was really good, and 6 was really good. Trevor, did you ever end up watching that? I watched one of I can't remember which one it was. It was I think it was six I think it was five or six the, that I watched on demand. Was it the one with the rock in it? Yes. Cause that's when it got good, like when he the flying headbutt and all that. I never really finished it though, but is they're up to seven. What's the most a movie franchise has ever produced? Is are they going for a record? <laughs> I mean, Halloween like had a lot. Police Academy, I think, yeah, had Halloween seven had or eight. Halloween Isn't, has uh, Halloween's probably got Didn't 10. Didn't, like, Ernest inter- goes to school or something like that? Weren't there, like, 100 of those? <laughs> yeah. Ernest kept churning them out until he uh, he dropped, unfortunately. <laughs> Has anyone actually seen an Ernest movie? Yes, I've seen Ernest Goes to Camp. I went and saw it in theaters when I was a kid. That sounds awesome. Is it actually good? I mean, to an 8-year-old, yeah. 
What about the vacations? How many of those vacation movies were there? There's probably five of those. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think there's five. Five of them. European, Christmas, Vegas. Wally uh, World, the original. Wally World, so that's four. And then... There's a new one coming out next year they put together. With the Another same, one? With it, the same cast? Yeah, but this time it'll be uh, Rusty as an adult taking his kids, and Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo are like uh, the grandparents instead of the parents in this one. Oh, that'll be pretty Doesn't cool. everybody hate Chevy Chase? Like, isn't he just the worst human being on the planet? <laughs> I, thought I, thought that, like, I thought that was you, Rob. I thought he was just a grumpy old man. Everybody loves me. What are you talking about, Trevor? <laughs> That's All right, let's say, <laughs> hey, Rob, let's let's cut Trevor out of here and let's talk some sports. Uh, I'll, I'll wait. Good. I'll yeah, wait. get rid of Trevor. I'll wait. Get rid until, of, no one likes him. I'll wait till the next show Trevor. when we have Troy uh, Macker on and he lets me talk. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, when there's when Trevor said that there's some breaking news, I thought that you were going to talk about Rick Barnes in a Tennessee. We haven't mentioned this on the show yet, uh, but this is all over Twitter right now. What do you think of that? If that if that is actually true, and, and he is the next coach in Knoxville. Well, I, as far as I know, um, Rick the the job at Tennessee was Rick Barnes to turn down. They 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 basically said to him, "It's your." They they offered him before he was even officially out at Texas. And they were like, look, if you leave, uh, you can come on over here, and we got a nice soft landing spot for you. You can make a couple mil, uh, you know, put him out to pasture, work a couple more years, <laughs> get, that re- get that retirement fund going. Um, no, in all seriousness, though, I actually really like the hire for Tennessee. I think that he's going to make uh, the balls relevant in the SEC. I don't know if they're going to be a top 25 team, but I think that he will make them be an NCAA tournament team. Um, eventually, probably in like maybe a year or two, you know, he's going to need time to get his recruits in. But he's going to land players there. He's not going to get in trouble with the NCAA like some of their past coaches have. And, you know, he's going to be a guy that just kind of goes about his business, uh, helps them win. And, you know, it's, I think it's a name hire as well. Remember, you're talking about a guy that went to 16 out of 17 tournaments at Texas that was, that, that's, Decidedly not a basketball school. So I, I think that this fit couldn't be more perfect, but, you know, he's going to be digging himself out of a hole there. It, it, it's not a good situation at Tennessee right now. So I, I, I like the hire. I think it's a good fit on both sides, and I'm glad that it's getting done. Rick Barnes deserved better than what happened at Tech. Yeah, I, I think it's this hire is better than hiring a, a, a top assistant that – or maybe not a top assistant, but maybe a coach that has succeeded as a small school for one or two years and hoping that he can do the same thing at Tennessee. I would rather get a big name in uh, if you're the Vols that, that has been able to recruit well at Texas, has nice Nike ties. Uh, Tennessee's moving over to Nike. I'm sure that probably won't hurt. Uh, and Tennessee That'll has help. a great fan. I, I think this is a good situation for Rick Barnes just as is for Tennessee because – Tennessee's got a, a nice arena, a huge arena. They've shown some support in basketball in the past decade, and, and the SEC is kind of unstable right now. You've got Kentucky, Arkansas is looking okay, Florida is still Florida, Auburn maybe on the rise, but to what extent? So t- he can win at Tennessee, he can win in the SEC, and it probably won't take too long, assuming, like you mentioned, those NCAA violations that are coming Tennessee's way aren't too severe. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But let's talk, let's talk more about some of the teams that are still – in the NCAA tournament, what was your biggest surprise from from this past weekend of hoops, the Elite Eight, the Sweet Sixteen? Uh, the biggest surprise for me was that 
Michigan State actually made it all the way through. I, I did not, you know, Tom Izzo is Tom Izzo, but I did not think that he was going to win against both Oklahoma and, and and Louisville. But, you know, to his credit, this is what he does. He now has 12 career NCAA tournament wins as a lower-seeded team, which is the most in NCAA tournament history. He's the only coach ever to make the Final Four three different times as a team seeded number five or lower, which is again the most in NCAA tournament history. So, you know, th- this is this is Tom Izzo at his best, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised when he does it anymore. But considering this Michigan State team lost to Texas Southern, they lost to Nebraska. You know, a, a month ago they lost at home to uh, to Minnesota, and now here they are in the Final Four, and, and arguably the greatest Final Four of all time, and. It's just it's Tom Izzo being Tom Izzo. Credit to um, Michigan State, I guess, became sort of a trendy pick to go to the Final Four in the East. Uh, my girlfriend, of all people, had them. I did not. Uh, they looked good in the Big Ten tournament. You could almost feel that a run was coming from Tom Izzo. And like you mentioned, he's always great in March. Do they have a legitimate chance to, to knock off Duke in Indianapolis, a team that they've already played in Indianapolis this season? I think so. You know, I, I really do think that they can beat them. Uh, my concern is that they are playing a more up-tempo style than we've seen out of them in recent years, and uh, I don't know if you can go up and down with Duke with how good they have been in transition in recent years. I just don't think that, you know, it's it's an ideal uh, style of play to go up against them. So, you know, we'll see what happens there, um, but I – I, I mean, I think they have a shot. Like, at what point do we stop saying Tom Izzo doesn't have a shot to win a game? I, I think I've reached that point right now. So I, I'll, I'll say that he, I mean, they have a chance. But the way that they can shoot with Travis Trice and Denzel Valentine and Brent Forbes, you know, and with uh, when Brandon Dawson decides that he wants to show up and make some plays, I, I just, when you have that much talent and that much scoring ability on your roster, I think it's very difficult to say that they can't win a game. It, I, I've thought that too. You, everybody points back uh, to the, some of their losses earlier this season, and that's, that's okay. They're a team that has adjusted throughout the year. But I, I certainly think they, they should look more like the team that we've seen the last few weeks than they were early in the season because they do have good players. They have guys that are going to play in the NBA. Uh, they have guys that can score and, and, and be dominant in college basketball. So I, I think it's more head-scratching that they lost some of those games earlier in the season than – this little run that they're going on now. Again, I didn't predict it, uh, but it will be interesting to see what they're able to do in that NCAA semifinal match against Duke. Uh, And if not for the Kentucky-Notre Dame game, everybody's talking about that Louisville-Michigan State game as the best Elite Eight game, and it it was an exciting one. What do you think of the job Rick Pitino did at Louisville this year? Uh, Said that this was his second-to-worst loss he's ever had with Duke, Christian Leitner, in the early 90s, being being number one? I mean, getting that team to the Elite Eight was, uh, frankly, pretty unbelievable, given where they were in the middle of the year when, uh, you know, when, when Chris Jones went out um, with his suspension and everything. It, it just, there, I, I talked to one ACC coach who told me that Chris Jones was the best player on this team and the most important player on this team, and that losing him was a, a borderline crippling blow. Um, and, you know, it, it turned out not to be. And, you know, you got to give credit to Quentin Snyder for stepping up. you got to give credit to Wayne Blackshear for, 
finally playing like a, a guy that you know deserved all the hype that he's had in his career. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like they're going to have to start over from scratch next season. You know, with, uh, I think Patino today announced that uh, Rozier and Harrell are both headed off the, the NBA, and he kind of hinted at three guys that are going to be transferring out of the program, although none of that is official yet. But with the recruiting class that he had last year, the talent that he has coming into the program next season, and some of the uh, the the transfers that he is getting in the mix with, uh, you know, I think that based on what he did this year, I don't think we can ever really count Louisville out again. Yeah, they certainly are going to be losing several big pieces, uh, but they do have some interesting players returning. Some uh, Snyder did look great uh, as time went on, and also Donovan Mitchell, I'm a big fan of, and he'll be in. He'll have a spot where he's going to get the ball in his hands a lot next year. So it'll be interesting to see where Louisville goes from here. Uh, Rob, you know, not to not to go all Trevor on you, but last week on the show you did mention that West Virginia could could play and likely would play with Kentucky. That didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> the the matchup was right. You know, you look back at it on paper, and I would still say the same thing that West Virginia is going to be able to give Kentucky some problems. Um, but I, whatever reason it was, maybe it was Daxter Miles opening his mouth or, you know, West Virginia just had one of those nights where they couldn't get anything going and, and they just didn't show up. So, I, I mean, that was one of the more surprising uh, results of the tournament to me was just how badly Kentucky ended up beating down West Virginia. And, you know, to a point, I think about midway through the first half, I think there was a point when West Virginia was kind of like deflated. I think it was almost to the point where they were, you know, kind of what you saw against UCLA when it was just, they beat Kentucky beat them to the point where you were kind of like, you know, all right, you know, enough of this, but can we just call it now? Basically, it was the, they, they needed a reset button, like when on Xbox, when you get down 3-0 in FIFA, and you accidentally unplug it or accidentally turn it off. That's what, uh, that's what West Virginia needed. But yeah, I mean, look, that prediction looks pretty dumb right now. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, almost I, as dumb as me saying that, San Diego State would have a shot to beat Duke. That don't, that one doesn't look smart either. Hey, you, you gotta you gotta have some bold predictions sometimes, and sometimes they blow up in your face, uh, and it happens. But <laughs> the, the I, I think we Virginia, should start calling those Trevor predictions from now on. That's what we that we'll call them. That well, everybody has a few Trevor predictions every now and then, and Trevor just a few Trevor full of them. He's full of them. Trevor, that one. Trevor, what, what is what is it? I was just saying that just because I picked Eastern Washington and Albany to win doesn't mean I was. They blew up completely in my face. Right. <laughs> Everybody has Trevor predictions. Trevor, it's okay. Uh, but moving, moving this on. This is like this is like when he told me that Eddie Lacy was not worth the number five pick in a fantasy football draft. How'd that work out for you, Trevor? Trevor, you never you never go against a Packer. And now his mic's breaking up. I think that's just his excuse. Yeah, to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, his mic's breaking up. Okay, whatever you That's... say, Trevor, because he's got no response for it. There's no, there's no way he can defend not taking Eddie Lacy. Y'all make fun of me, I don't, but I'm just I don't proud need to, have I don't need to defend it with the four figures that I won playing fantasy football this year. With Eddie Lacy as my number five pick. You all think it, you, you that, think you're Trevor. funny to make fun of me for the uh, blowing up award, but you know I'm just happy to have something named after me. I'll take it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're an optimist, Trevor. You're an optimist, uh, Rob. Another question for you, uh, Rob Doster, NBC Sports. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Rob Doster. It's that simple. 
I'm a I'm a big believer of momentum heading into a Final Four, carrying a team to a title. Uh, maybe the teams that have been the best in the first four games of the tournament uh, push through. You can always kind of read a team and what direction they're going. Obviously, any team that makes it to the Final Four has had to be successful in their first four games, but some kind of are in, in dogfights to get there. Others cruise. Of the four teams in the Final Four, who do you think has the most momentum heading into Indianapolis on Saturday. Kentucky blows out West Virginia, but then squeaks by Notre Dame, lucky to win that game. Wisconsin kind of does the same thing against UNC, but then looks really good against Arizona. Uh, Duke with some interesting games. Who, who do you feel has the most momentum heading in to Lucas Oil? I'm going to say Duke because of the way that they're playing on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, you know, heading into the tournament, they were ranked 57th in the country in defensive efficiency according to KenPom.com, and now they are 17. Uh, they haven't allowed more than 0.9 points per possession uh, defensively yet this tournament. And if you're not, you know, into the whole advanced statistics movement, that's not all that far off from what Kentucky has been uh, posting all season long. So it's, it's, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do, how they've gone from being a team that, is not good at all on the defensive end to looking like a very, very good team in the span of like two weeks. My only concern about Duke is I just, I don't know how many great teams they've played in the tournament. They've played some teams with great players, but not overall. I don't think they've played any great teams. The biggest knock on Gonzaga was they hadn't really played anybody but Arizona and they lost Arizona. So when they played a good team, what was going to happen? Well, they played Duke and, uh, was competitive, but never really overly threatening. So I'm curious, as, and, and Michigan State really isn't super overwhelming. They're a good team. So I'm curious to see what, what Duke does in that game and also in the championship game if they get there. Uh, this will probably be the last time we talk to you, Rob, before the be, – well, maybe we can talk to you next Monday before the title game. But uh, what's your prediction in the Final Four? Who wins on Saturday? And then ultimately who cuts down the nets on next a week from today? I have Kentucky and Duke, and Kentucky beating Duke in the title. What what kind of what if it's Kentucky Duke? Where does that rank in all time championship finals in terms of TV ratings, ticket prices, and just general interest? Well, the prices are going to be out of this world. Between like the two, you get Kentucky and you got Duke, and you got forty and zero, and it's in Indianapolis, right by what is that? Three hours from Lexington or something like that. It's yep. It's going to be insane. Um, I, I'm sure that the cheapest ticket price you're going to find on StubHub is like $1,200. If you have a ticket to the NCAA tournament right now uh, or into the Final Four right now, I would recommend selling it and trying to find a way to use that to put your child through college is what I would do <laughs> if I had that ticket. If I could sell my Fresh Pass for like, I'm sure I could probably sell that for, for like what, like $300,000? You'd think some Kentucky fan would pay $300,000 for a Fresh Pass, right? I'm sure you probably find one. Why not? Good I, seats. I, I would, <laughs> I would strongly consider doing that for and just finding a different profession. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's forget this. Give me that three hundred k, and you know what? I'm done. I'm out of here. Oh, I would go. I would do it in a heartbeat if up. I could. If if I could do that, if that was legal. Uh, but I don't know if the NCAA would be too fond about it because they freak out if you go out on the court with a cup that's not a Powerade cup. Yeah, so, and they give you a. You got to have your picture on the uh, the Final Four placard that has your picture on it. So it would have to be someone that looks like. 
Yeah, we, you know, maybe speaking of, of the vacation movies, Vegas Vacation, they got a guy that makes fake IDs, so maybe they could do a, a guy that makes fake media credential passes with somebody's real picture on it. <laughs> Papa, Papa Giorgio. <laughs> it's Nick not Papa. a bad idea. All right, Sounds like well, a fledgling uh, black market to me. Let's make this happen. That sounds good to me. All right, Rob, we'll let you get out of here before uh, some Trevor says something else. So thanks so much for joining us, Rob Doster, NBC Sports. Enjoy the Final Four in Indianapolis. Hey, take care, guys. Except thanks. you, Trevor. <laughs> uh, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> no, it, 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 Trevor, I'm not going to blame you for getting off track there because Rob was the one that brought up Fast and the Furious. But, man, I thought that Yates and I, back in the day, would get sidetracked with some movie talk. That got out of control there for a little bit. There there were some days. Of course, a lot of it stemmed from the summertime where Rob would come on during the summer, and there's only even so much college basketball you can talk during the summertime. I mean, you, you can – so we would – during the summer, would get in, we got more into pop culture, movies, music, and things like that, and it just kind of flooded over into the season to the point where – There'd be conversation in a day like today, where there's so much college basketball to talk about. I mean, we didn't even get a chance to bring up, you know, Chris Mullen going back to St. John's, which people at Houston are going telling them that the Clyde Drexler thing did not work either. That that we we just we started talking so much more movies than basketball, even on days important days like today. It's the ADD kicking in. It's not a good thing. It happens, and I, you know, I I I, I really don't mind, but also, and you know, I wouldn't say this to Rob because. Me and him are still working on the foundations of our relationship right now as the kind of our cornerstone is being able to, you know, laugh at you. But Fast and the Furious is just not a good movie fan- franchise. Oh, tell it to him. I've told it I've been telling him that for almost two years now. He won't uh, listen maybe, to me. But maybe he like I watch the real world, and I know the real world is not a good show and it's bad. But I watch it because it's funny and entertaining in that weird sort of way. Maybe he likes Fast and the Furious in that weird sort of way, knowing that it's just terrible. But he likes to watch it because it's something that's good and awful. It's not, yeah. It's you kind of laugh while also being drawn to it in, in a weird sort of way. I, I felt but like I hope I, he doesn't I, think I, that it's just good. I hope he doesn't think, "Wow, man, that's a good movie. That's a good flick." No, he does. He he he's into the action flicks. He, between that and romantic comedies, he has some kind of. Uh, he's hooked up on uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days or. Failure to launch. One of those movies he's obsessed with as well, which I like to make fun of him for. Perfect Pitch is another favorite of his that you can tease him about. But you mean Pitch Perfect? Pitch Perfect, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, not the I, one, not the one with Freddie Prince Jr. In well, thinking. Well, one. I'm actually kind of a sucker for romantic comedies. I mean, well, again, I don't. So do I, I, but to a limit. I would never say that they're great movies, and you know, if I'm bored on a Sunday and nothing to do, I'd pop one in. But if I'm flipping the TV and one's on, and I've got nothing to do, and I would watch a little bit of it. I'd be, you know, I'd be on my phone and be doing other things. But if it was on in the background, I would, you know, I'd, I wouldn't mind watching some. And there's some that are entertaining. And also, when you have a, a girlfriend for a year and a half, that's you know, you you, you watch some. I, w- so. I wouldn't know what that is like because it's been probably a year and a half since I've had a steady girlfriend. But Rob Rob's a good guy. He's got a lot of great qualities. We just can't get past some reason why he likes Fast and the Furious. I I've tried to talk to his his newly beautiful wife about getting intervention for him, but I've tried to talk to his uh, former uh, colleague and roommate Troy Macker about it, but we we've tried to, we tried to fix him, but he just he won't get off Fast and the Furious. We don't understand it. Yeah, interesting. I, I just and it's 
so goofy. I don't know. It, I mean, there's like plane, there's cars jumping out of planes in the most recent one I based on <laughs> the promos. How, I mean, and then they land as if they could land perfectly, and they drive off on roads. You know what happens if your car got stuck in a tree upside down? <laughs> I mean, that you'd be you'd be Let's, in trouble. I like how you just skipped over the complete other fact that they're hitting, they're falling out of a plane at. Uh, I don't know how fast it, it, the, the rate they would hit the concrete would just completely uh, disintegrate them. But, but no, they have you're more worried about hitting a no, tree on the way down. They have parachutes. <laughs> I didn't see the parachutes. I thought they just went straight down and landed and just kept driving. No, they had, I'm pretty sure they had parachutes. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did. They actually did do this in real life. Diesel doesn't need a parachute. Come on. They actually <laughs> did release plane or cars from planes in real life and shot the footage of that for the film. And they had ginormous parachutes for the cars. My question is, they, they there's no way they landed straight up. I mean, they didn't. Not all of them. What annoys me about those movies is that I know that it took them millions and millions and millions of dollars to make it. And I'm thinking, I want to meet the guy who said, okay, I'll give you $30 million to make this movie. I just want to get in a room with him for five minutes so I can get like hundred grand out of him. Because if he's willing to give away millions of dollars to make some of the movies they've made in Fast and the Furious series... I guarantee I can get six figures out of them in, in, in at least a half an hour in a room with them. Well, they make money. You know, they spend all that money, but they'll make it back because people like Rob and 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 thirteen year old girls go to see it. Yeah. Tell, Anyways, him that, to- tell him that next time. Say, ask him if he's the chaperone in the entire theater. <laughs> well, I will have to remind him because I really think he's set on going to see it. But we're gonna head to a commercial break here. Uh, do thank Rob for coming on. I don't mean to make fun of his movie choices. Uh, I just I didn't know if he was being serious or not. We're still building that relationship. We don't know each other that well. So stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be right back. Well, this is how it starts. Two lovers in the dark. On the run from the one that they call Share Spark. Six guns by the side and bullets round their waist. Two shots to the sky. Sigma sign for the chase. The safe was nearly empty and they were nearly free. But were seen by the good eye of the man. Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. Now, back to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. Speaking of golf, it's that time of the year again. Beautiful weather out today. It'll be nice tomorrow. I think spring is finally here. It might get a little colder in the week, but not dipping into the 40s for the highs or, uh, God forbid, the 30s. So I, I think warm weather is here to stay. So that means you got to get your 2015 Sports Buzz golf card. Uh, we talked about it last year. 1450 the Sports Buzz has been doing it long before I've been here. Uh, it's one of the hottest selling promos we'll do because it's such a great deal. So, it, you know, it's great. You get to play at Chariot Run, Polo Fields, Heritage Hill, Woodhaven Country Club, Elks Run, and Valley View. You can play those great courses for under $25 a round with the 2015 Sports Buzz Golf Card. And some of them are private. So that's the only way you can get on is either if you're a member, you've got this card. Uh, there's a limited number because they can't give away this good of a deal to everybody. So you can go to 1450thesportsbuzz.com. 
slash golf card or call 812-725-1457, 812-725-1457, Chariot Run, Polo Fields, Heritage Hill, Woodhaven, Elks Run, Valley View, under $25 a round, cart included. You even get a free drink at Chariot Run and a bucket of range balls. So not a bad deal at all. If you're a golfer, you've got to jump on it like me. I uh, can't wait to things die down a little bit with March Madness and recruiting and maybe can get out on the links uh, a little bit more than I have been this year. Uh, so make sure you, you get that because they are going to run out. Um, I'll keep promoting them until they do, but they will run out. I promise you that. Fun to have Rob on. Not so much fun to have a lengthy discussion about Fast and the Furious. Uh, but now I need to get some tweets because we haven't had too much time. Uh, allegedly, Mike tweets in and says that in the Notre Dame game, Dakari he got smoked and play. He got smoked every time on the court. Played too much. Uh, he only played eight minutes, and, and not one of his better games. It's it's you're you're seeing a big difference between Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley Stein, and Dakari Johnson. And I really don't think that from a talent standpoint. They're all that those two are far apart from Dakari Johnson. Now, Carl Anthony Towns is, is much better. Willie Cauley Stein and Dakari Dakari is a better offensive center, but will just not even comparable on the defensive end. TJ, we talked before the year and we were both big on Dakari's bandwagon. Is I, this season somewhat of a disappointment for him? Oh, yeah, definitely a disappointment for him. Without a doubt, and I'm a huge, huge Dakari Johnson fan. And I said that before the season. I said it last season. Uh, there was times last year, without a doubt, he was better than Willie Cauley's son. Willie is a sophomore, Dakari is a freshman. Uh, I think there's a lot of confidence issues going on with Dakari Johnson. I think that he is struggling in the platoon system. I think he's a guy that needs to figure it out on the floor. I think he needs to be able to get out there and play and figure things out. Uh, and work through it, but when he's only playing 10 to 15 minutes, he doesn't really get that chance to adjust. And I don't think, you know, it doesn't make sense for this to actually be a real issue for him because he said it's not. John Calipari said it's not. Everybody says it's not. But you have to wonder if he lost all that weight, if that's changed the way he's played. if Or if in the back of his mind, it's it's hurting his confidence. Uh, he's he's much thinner, and they, they got him thinner so he could be a little more versatile, help his lift a little bit. You haven't seen drastic changes in that, but you have seen him get pushed around a little bit more than he did last year. You have seen him losing losing balls, getting more shots blocked. This is a guy that guarded Frank Kaminsky in the Final Four game, along with Marcus Lee and Julius Randle a little bit. And held Frank Kaminsky to eight points. A really bad game. Everybody's talking about how how is Kentucky going to be able to handle Frank Kaminsky. Well, he goes into that Final Four game, scores eight points, and and Dakari Johnson wasn't the sole reason for that, but he was a big reason. So it's definitely been a disappointing year for him. Uh, I I think it's just the lack of minutes where he hasn't been able to figure things out out as he goes. Uh, He's only playing short stretches. He goes in there, makes a mistake, and he heads out. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, because right now you should be playing Willie Cauley-Stein and Carl Anthony Towns over him. 
that being said, is Takari coming back next year? I think he will be. He was very borderline to leave last year, and I was kind of almost a little bit surprised he did come back because we all know the NBA drafts almost more on potential than what they've actually seen, and because the potential he showed and the potential it made you and me both think going into the season he was going to be a huge impact player despite the guys coming in. Uh, it's kind of dwindled a little bit, much like uh, some, it's, which has happened to a lot of other players across the country in certain situations. Yeah, I just I don't know what NBA team could justify taking him in the first round. And if you're not a guaranteed first round pick, is it worth it to go? Ask, I tell you what, when I, next time we talk to Terry Rozier, let's ask him that because he <laughs> says yes. Well, and what you're talking about is Rick Pitino today. In his end of the season press conference, which you know, God bless Rick Pitino, he, he he'd be a fun guy to cover because he's at the point of his life where he doesn't care. He says what he wants to say. He doesn't care if feelings are hurt. He does snap at you though if you ask him something in a bad mood though. I, I've well, yeah, we've all been yeah, down that path. Does. I know me and Chip and other people have. That also goes down with him being you know a bit older and kind of in the the in the NF stage of his career. Uh, he doesn't care about anything. He'll, he'll, he's, he's like the old man in waiting, sitting at the table talking to Monty, like, uh, what's wrong at Alzheimer's? Uh, sometimes I give kids little, little kids the middle finger and don't know I did it. And well, don't get, the, don't, don't get the reference, <laughs> but that's okay. Oh, you never watched the movie Waiting. I'm sorry. Well, you should watch it. It's a good movie. But the same thing applies. It, so you'll get very honest answers from him. But I didn't necessarily like what he said today about the the NBA draft because – Montrose Harrell would be a shock if he came back. Although Rick Pitino did say that he'd be 100% gone last year, and sure enough, he came back. But, and then Russ Smith, I guess that was Russ Smith's dad two years ago who said that he was going to go. He ended up coming back. But there's a, definitely a trend of people around Louisville or Rick Pitino saying players are going to leave, and then they end up not leaving. It, it's just it's classic Rick Pitino. So Montrose Harrell, I don't really care about because he probably will actually leave. Terry Rozier probably will actually leave, but that one's a bit more of a, eh, maybe he needs to go see what the NBA says. He even said it after the game yesterday. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, take some time to heal a little bit, but then once I'm good, I'm going to ask NBA teams what they think. I'm going to ask Coach Patino what he thinks, a little this, a little that. So I do have a problem with Rick Patino saying that. It kind of puts puts Rogier in a tough spot where he says, oh, well, maybe I, maybe I am going. Maybe I am leaving. I wasn't 100% set on it, but I guess if that's what Coach is saying to the public without us having that conversation, which I doubt they had in the last 24 hours since losing to Michigan State and Syracuse traveling back and getting back to class, I kind of had an issue with him saying that. Because if he is actually going to go, then let Terry Rozier have that moment when he can break that news and announce that he's going to finally pursue a lifelong dream to get to the next level and, and start making millions for his talents. You don't have to be the one to break it when it may not even be 100% accurate. I don't know. We need to hit our other commercial break. Last one of the show. So stick around here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be back. The word of mouth 
You're listening to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. I'm all about having fun. You know, get a couple of cocktails in me, start a fire in someone's kitchen, maybe go to SeaWorld, take my pants off. On 1450, the Sports Buzz. We're back. What a Monday it's been. What a weekend it was. I want to apologize. It's the first repeat bumper I've played since I started doing bumpers for you. So I'm sorry. I thought hey. I had three new ones today, but I guess I only had two. I'm okay with that. I like that one. And I just I, I don't want to give you too much uh, repetitiveness. So I'm a, you're gonna get new fresh stuff almost every day. I promise. I, I like the intros. They're fun. They're fun to listen to. Uh, if you do a repo, repeat, it's all about having then. fun. It's, you like to take your pants off. Exactly. Fire in someone's kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A few more tweets and texts I need to get to. I've been neglecting them today because there's just been so much to talk about. Clay B116 wants me to know that Kentucky did not play well. I, I talked about how early in the show everybody's saying that Notre Dame played unbelievable and Kentucky played terrible, and I said that's not necessarily the case. I don't think Kentucky played awful. Now I'm not I'm not saying UK played really really good or one of their top games of the season. I'm just not saying they played their worst game of the season either. Clay B116 says UK had more turnovers than assists. They shot 37% in the first half. Yeah, the last 12 minutes they were 9 of 9, which was some of their best offensive shooting all year, which inflated their overall shooting percentage, but that's still only 75 shots uh one shot every 80 seconds is what he was trying to say. Uh, not to mention they lost the turnover battle and Notre Dame had a greater than two assists to turnover ratio and they only out-rebounded a very small team by one. Uh, well, a few of those things. A few of those things. One, who cares what they shoot in the first half if they finish the game shooting 53%? You can't say that they had a... You, you, they could shot... 2% in the first half, but if they finish the game shooting 53%, that's impressive. That's, that's a good number. Wisconsin looked like they could not miss against Arizona. They shot 55%. Arizona shot 55% against Wisconsin. Those are good numbers. Those are good shooting numbers for UK to be able to do that, to shoot that high, especially after a bad first half. That's impressive. Now, the first half was not great. Now, if UK can put together a performance like that second half for 40 minutes, then that's a really good game. So I'm, not, I'm just saying they didn't play their worst game all time. Uh, yes, UK out-rebounded Notre Dame 29-28, but Notre Dame did a good job of taking their bigs outside of, uh, away from the basket. And like we mentioned earlier, I think it was Trevor mentioned, that UK still would be able to to chase after block shots, and they did finish with nine blocks. But when you've got guys chasing and going for blocks and helping over going for blocks, that's going to leave you vulnerable for rebounds. Notre Dame had 
13 offensive rebounds. So you have to pick and choose a little bit. Kentucky can play better. I'm not arguing that. They have played better. I would probably say this was UK's worst game of the tournament. They were really bad against Hampton. Kentucky was not good against Hampton. So maybe that was the worst game of the tournament. But this was this was their second worst game. But they'll have to be better against Wisconsin. We'll see if they can be. Wisconsin's a good team. They looked unbelievable against Arizona. If they played the way they did against Arizona, they're beating Kentucky. Of course, Decker and Kaminsky combined for 56 points. That won't happen. They shot 31 free throws. That won't happen against UK. And they made 12 three-pointers. That won't happen against UK. So I say if they play that way against UK, they'll beat Kentucky, but there's no way they're going to play that way. But they are a good team. It's going to be a close game. A lot of people have asked me what I thought about this game. Is it a good matchup for Kentucky? Is there a revenge factor? Forget about the revenge factor. I've said that all along. Wisconsin played Arizona last year in the Elite Eight. Did the revenge factor for Arizona in a virtual home game send them to the Final Four? No. Wisconsin also played Oregon this year in the round of 32. Played Oregon last year in the round of 32. Did that propel Oregon to a revenge game? They're going to get back at the Badgers for knocking them out of the tournament? Nope. It's kind of eerie if you're a Wisconsin fan. You're about to, you played Oregon back-to-back years in the second round. You played Arizona back-to-back years in the late eight. And now you're about to play Kentucky back-to-back years in the final four. Yeah. It, it, that, that probably wouldn't make you feel great if you were a Wisconsin fan. Is there, I wonder, I, I'd have to look this up and it would take me forever to do it, but I can't imagine there has been another team that has played the same opponent, three opponents in back-to-back tournaments. And, well, same opponents, maybe, but to play them in the same rounds. It's even weirder, yes. It is weird, and I'm sure that's probably never happened. That's crazy. I doubt it has happened. But Wisconsin's a good team. This will be the best team Kentucky's played all season. And we'll talk, obviously, later in the week more about some of the matchups, some of the X's and O's what to keep an eye on. Other semifinal, Michigan State-Duke. For me, without a doubt, this will be Duke's toughest game of the tournament. And that may say something about their road because I don't think Wisconsin is unbelievably, or Michigan State, excuse me. I'm exhausted. I don't think Michigan State's unbelievably good. But the way they match up with Duke, also Tom Izzo, This will be Duke's toughest game. And and Trevor, speaking of Duke, I think you owe me a little lunch based on Duke covering against Utah on Friday night. I I don't have the exact name of that referee, but damn him, whoever he is. Uh, Could you – I mean, I I understand that that the whistle was blown and there was a a foul, so to speak, but, I mean, come on. I mean, did you really have to have him come out there? And, and of course, he's going to hit just one. To, to cover the spread. You have to bring them out there and make them shoot free throws. I mean, you're just rubbing salt in Utah's face. They already lost the game. Let them go to the locker room as a five-point loss. That was incredibly fishy. But it was a foul. I mean, he did get fouled, and it was there was time left. Of course, they avoided calling the jump ball before it, which could have been easily called. So I don't know why you'd bother blowing the whistle for a foul right after that when you've already let it play to that point. But 
I'm not a referee, and apparently, unlike uh, him, I didn't have the I had money on Utah, not Duke. It just it, it's fishy to me. I don't care. I don't care if you call the foul, but if they didn't register it and they didn't stop the clock, and you know that it's probably under a minute or under a second. Excuse me, it's under a minute, obviously, <laughs> under a second when it is currently a five point game. Let's say best case scenario. Duke shoots those free throws and misses. There's no possible way for Utah to get five points, even if they shot a three and got fouled. Not even in the Rock and Jock game. They, those only had four-point shots. There's <laughs> no way. If it was a four-point game, I'd be like, okay. I mean, I guess hypothetically there could be a way. A three and a foul. A, a, a full-court three that Duke happens to foul him on. And he hits it. Would have never in a million bajillion years happened, but theoretically you can get a four-point play. You can't get a five-point play. Not yet. So the fact in that Utah Sweet 16 game on Friday, they went over to the monitor, made Utah, whose season has ended, they know it's ended, played Duke pretty tough, had probably one of the better basketball seasons Utah basketball has had since maybe 98. And you make them sit out there on the court and wait and wait and let Duke cheer, watch the Duke fans and players and coaches smile and slap hands and hug each other. And then after all of that, they tell you, well, you go get your butt on the block. We're shooting some free throws. Unbelievable. And in the spread madness pool I've talked so much about on my radio show, my girlfriend had Utah needing to cover that. So it was, a, Duke, it was a win-lose situation for you. She lost, but you won. Yeah. Yeah, I would have rather heard one. I mean, I've been wrong enough on the radio before. <laughs> you and me both. And so I would have rather seen her win. And the funny thing was she was out with some of her friends, and I was watching the game with some of mine. And I texted her super, super excited for her to be able to win. And I was like, they covered because I didn't think there was any chance. As I, as I mentioned on the radio, I didn't think there was any way. And I was like, I can't believe it. They covered. They did it. They did it. And then I had to send the text. I wish I could, uh, if there wasn't some bad words in it, I wish I could put it on Twitter. But then I had to send the text that was like, oh, oh, no. That's really what it said. It was just like, not, not looking good. And she thought I was messing with her and just trying to be a jerk. So she said some bad words to me, jokingly. So it turned into this big thing. I felt bad. It wasn't my fault, though. The refs, that was silly. Silly of them to do that. But Final Four, another Final Four for Kentucky. And I I, I went on my little John Calipari salivating rant last week, so I'm not going to do it again this week. But for Kentucky to go to four out of five Final Fours really is incredible. You probably won't ever see something like that again from Kentucky basketball. It's, it's hard to get there. As you saw in that Notre Dame game, it's hard to get there. As you saw in the Louisville-Michigan State game, it's hard to find ways to win Elite Eight games. That's where you get the most competitive games of the tournament every year is in the Elite Eight game when the Final Four is on the line. So now as you have it, you've got a Wisconsin-Kentucky-Michigan State-Duke Final Four. Now if you if you put Louisville instead of Michigan State 
that would have made the Final Four a bigger deal. But even as you have it right now, probably going to be one of the most hyped Final Fours of all time, Trevor. You've got three. You, you've got two Hall of Fame coaches. Well, is is his own the Hall of Fame yet? I don't think so. I don't. Okay. I might be incorrect, but I do not believe he is. Well, that's kind of silly to me because you've got John Calipari and Bo Ryan who are who could be in the Hall of Fame this time next week. And Tom Izzo's not even yeah, – that's crazy to me. I'll verify well, you, it. But, I, I mean, I, I was going because it does sound weird, but I'm, I just don't remember him going in, but that doesn't mean he didn't. I, now that I'm, now we're talking about it, I don't think he is. But you've got four coaches that will be in the Hall of Fame. He you've is got, not. You, you've got three coaches that are considered probably the best co- – three of the best four or five coaches in college basketball right now. Izzo, Coach K, Calipari. You've got three fan bases all within driving distance of Indy. Wisconsin, Michigan State, Kentucky. You've got another fan base that is bandwagon fans across the country. Duke. Duke's not that far, by the way. It's only probably about eight hours. Duke to Indy? Yeah. I bet it's more than that. From Louisville to Durham is, uh, I think, about seven hours. So, I mean, I guess about eight or nine. Yeah. I I mean, nine nine makes it a little... People, Duke's going to have fans there. That's my point. It's Duke. They're going to fly anyway. They got money. Exactly. Well, they're going to have people there, whether they fly or drive or however they get their trains, planes, automobiles. Good movie. They'll be in Indy, too. So you're going to have four fan bases that are going to be very well represented. You've got four fan bases that honestly probably all believe they can win the national title. Even Michigan State, because here's the thing. Michigan State's kind of going on a Kentucky-like run last year where – the season didn't probably go as you wanted to, but you got hot at the right time. And not only are you getting hot, but the, the nation's starting to realize, wow, Michigan State has players. They can defend, they can rebound, and they've got guys that can score. So I, I wouldn't be com- all that shocked if Michigan State cut down the nets in Indy. They'd be obviously my last pick out of the four. Hey, Izzo gets him there. He doesn't win it. when he, he Only one out of six going into this year in the Final Four. So he can get you there, but winning it's a whole other story for Michigan State fans. Last time Michigan State was in the Final Four was 2010 in Indianapolis with Duke. I was at that game. Didn't they, was, they got blown out in the uh, semifinal game, didn't they? They were beaten by Butler. I don't know if it was a blowout, but the game was never really in doubt. And it was an upset. It was a surprise. Butler, everybody thought Michigan State had a, you know, uh, shoe-in for the title game. I'm thinking of 2009 when they upset Louisville. They got blown out by North Carolina in the next round. That's what I'm thinking of, I think. Was that it? I think so, yeah, because they went to back-to-back Final Fours in 2009 and 2010. And then in 2008, North Carolina got blown out by Kansas. <laughs> yes, they did. And they actually came back for a little bit. I think maybe got it to 10, but then Kansas was up like 30 or something in that game in the first half. That was wild. Uh, but so uh, Michigan State Duke, they were both in Indy the last time the Final Four was in Indy. Kentucky probably should have been in Indy, if not for West Virginia. There's a lot of weird things going on, but this is going to be probably the most hyped Final Four that we've seen in quite some time. Ticket prices in Indy on Saturday are going to be wild. The atmosphere in Indy on Saturday is going to be crazy. I know we got a whole week to talk about this, but and you mentioned it with Rob slightly, and we're, we are running out of time, but... UK versus Duke championship, obviously on the line, which is only on a, even sadly a sad note when you can talk about it being a perfect season also on the line against Duke. I mean, other than Louisville, could there be any bigger ratings 
and ticket sales for for the for the, all that on the line in the championship in UK and Duke? Nope. Uh, like you said, Louisville would be the only other one. And that would only just blow up the ratings even more in this area. I don't know how nationally that would really. Nationally, they'd still be good. Yeah, but Duke is probably na- on a national aspect. I think Duke Kentucky would yep. bring a little more. Yep, it, it would, and ticket and ticket prices would still be crazy for Duke, and will be crazy for Duke Kentucky if that happens. Uh, it would be the I mean, probably one of the most entertaining buildups to a national title game ever. Certainly in the top three. Circa '79, Michigan State and uh, Indiana State, Magic versus Bird. Yeah, and the TV ratings probably won't be the best for Kentucky Duke if that were to happen because now you've got cable and some of the old old games and the records are going to hold forever. And it's on four different channels because you can. Well, I guess championship game would be two different, three different channels because you have the they do the two yeah. homer calls and then they do the regular call. Speaking of that, I did the soccer game on Saturday, Trevor. I listened. I, I listened to the last a little bit of the last first half and. Uh, you went to halftime, and I had to go run some errands, and, and I, by the time I got home, the game had ended, so I was a little disappointed, but you you did well. I, I was impressed. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That was a disaster. I'd love to do it again. Uh, I, I was the fill-in. I think maybe Valvano is going gonna, is gonna to do it for them. I would love to do it again, but the, and it was so much fun. I mean, the game itself was fun. Louisville played well. They looked good, but they had us – you know, it was a, it's a baseball stadium, and they had us in the in the radio booth for baseball, which is a little bit to the side but behind home plate. And so we were back in the corner, really the worst spot you could have had us for the soccer game. Uh, you need they needed to move us down over by a suite closer to midfield because there's from our view there's parts of the field that we could not see, parts of the in play field that we couldn't see. Uh, we didn't have stats. We didn't have replays. Uh, they didn't give us. They didn't give us a lot of things. Uh, their first game, I know they're going to figure some of that stuff out. Uh, but for you to say that we actually sounded well is nice because I, I was, I wasn't sure if it, if it sounded that great. Um, I didn't say anything stupid, so at least we had that. You didn't uh, but we got all. To, yeah, we've got all week to preview the Final Four. Uh, Kentucky back again. Wisconsin, very familiar setup. Uh, so look forward to being able to do that again. I will let you all know about the show tomorrow. I'm thinking that we probably won't be able to do it. If we can't, then we've got Wednesday. Uh, But it should be a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Rob Doster for coming on. Trevor, nice to talk to you again after the weekend and have you admit that you were wrong about Utah, even though I got a little lucky. And you loved my music this week, I know. Uh Oh, geez. And we'll do it all again Wednesday. So thanks for listening here on 1450 The Sports Buzz. From Chicago, we'll see you on Wednesday. Uh, they say welcome to the 502 Take a Georgia boy and show them how Kentucky do Oakland Creek's classics, paint Kentucky blue They say don't forget 270, we hitting two Song call it bluegrass, song call it purple I'ma call it home, take a shot of Tron Lay back in the lap and take two to the dome Ride from the bill to BG in my zone Let me hear you sing High time, sitting by the river Got my old shotgun, fishing pole in my liquor Cause people always trying to tell me how to run my life When they say I'm going